Welcome to the EPMe.me show, where we get into the details of all things heart, rhythm, and ECG related with the best minds in cardiac electrophysiology. Hosted by David Ornstein. Hi, welcome to episode two of the EPMe.me show. This is David Ornstein. Yes, I'm the host of the show. And I would just like to start off by thank you so much for the comments and the feedback I received from episode one, where we looked at the argument for subspecializing, where we really look at should we be sub 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 specializing in EP and devices rather than just electrophysiology. If you missed that episode, look down in the bottom corner and you can see a link to it right now and watch it. It's a great precursor to this show and this episode. But we're going to go into further details. In this episode, we're going to look at using the devices, using the implantable devices that we have in electrophysiology for the arrhythmia diagnosis. And the first part of that is this week where we're going to look at the implantable loop recorders. Um, So let's move ahead with the show. So when we were looking at subspecializing last week, I now have a question for you. Do you work in devices? Do you work in EP? Maybe both? Or none? The question why I'm asking this is, last week we talked about subspecializing. And we're seeing, are there really two different worlds within electrophysiology of devices and electrophysiology? Or do we work in both? Or do you guys maybe work in none because your students are studying? Let me know in the comments below, um, because this can help me maybe aim some of our material towards you guys specifically. But where does the first speciality come from is from the medieval times, where medicine and surgery were divided up. So before we can even get to devices and EP, I just want to give a brief recap of what we looked at last week. So we had the medicine, and medicine was done by the scholarly individuals, the learned professionals, those that treated and cured people. Whereas then you had the surgery and the bone setting carried out by tradesmen, blacksmiths, barbers, the more physical people, the ones that fix things, the doers, but not necessarily the scholarly learned people. And only when we got to the early 20th century do we have the first specialities with their own examination balls as we know it today, where they could qualify in ophthalmology, eyes, and pediatrics, children, kids. So we've come a long way since then. And let's see maybe when we discussed last week about devices and electrophysiology, if we can look at some interesting more clinical case studies this week and see if our tools, our skill sets that we have, are they focused to help us or hinder us? And the first tool we're going to look at actually is the implantable loop recorder. These are devices that are actually inserted under the skin so they're not within the system, the body system, the blood flow of the system like a pacemaker might necessarily be. These are implanted beneath the skin either by injection or by insertion and they can monitor the heart rhythm for a long period of time. So if we have a look over here on our slide we actually have um, the uh, we have three d- such devices right up next to a coin, so you can see actually how small they are. Um, we have the Biotronic Biomonitor 2, their latest device. We have the St. Jude below that um, Confirm RX device, which is really a small, thin device, very lightweight. And below that, we have the Medtronic offering, which is the Reveal Link. That's their current latest device that we're implanting today. Now, all these devices, they have a... In- 
inherent benefit when someone comes into your clinic with some kind of feeling that could be linked to a heart rhythm disorder. So we send them for an EKG. But the EKG just gives us a picture of what is happening right now. Very rarely can you get a picture of what's previously happened unless there's some real congenital underlying rhythm of something that they were born with or something that has developed over a long period of time. When we're looking at heart rhythm, quite often that is not enough. So the next step is doing a halter test. That's connecting a 3-lead or even a 12-lead EKG where you can get full information from to a patient, but it's stickers stuck to a patient, and that can last for up to maybe 72 hours. If the patient doesn't have the heart rhythm problem during that 72 hours, that three-day period maximum, well then, you're still stuck for question. And then you have different stick-on patches that are currently being... Uh, um, released and they can have one to three views of the heart, three EKGs, but they're also not long-term. When we're looking at long-term patients with uh, heart rhythm disorders or they might faint um, three, four times a year, but those fainting episodes can cause them damage, they could fall, they can hurt themselves. Well, we would want to know what's going on. And these implantable loop recorder devices that you can see here in the slide, um, these three devices can record from anywhere from one year up to three years of information straight. And they know how to detect not only fast rhythms, but also slow rhythms and also pauses in rhythms. So you can actually set them and program them with different alerts or different types of rhythms that may happen and they're great great indicators now they are done through a very 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 small incision as we can see in the middle um, picture on the slides with a small incision between the fourth and fifth rib um, intercostal space um, and then inserted under the skin leaving very very minimal scar they can be actually done bedside they don't need to be necessarily done in a procedure room that's what we're currently doing and these devices can connect um, as you can see in the third picture here to a mobile device or a uh, home monitoring device where the patient it's a one-way system so it's very protected you can't do anything to the patient with it the patient's device can transmit to the mobile device or, or through bluetooth or through wireless connection to a home monitoring device and these um, all different home monitoring devices of the different companies that are available use a quite traditionally nowadays a cellular, the mobile network, and transmit it to the cloud within the company, whether it's the Biotronic St. Jude or the Medtronic devices that I have displayed here. All the different pacemaker devices actually can connect to these home monitoring devices and goes to the cloud. Now, this cloud is safe, it's secure, it's FDA approved, and it keeps the information safe. And that information can only be viewed by the chosen um, medical team, the clinical team that have access to the particular patient group. Very important to say this because it really is safe and secure. And this information can be con uh, connected to the hospital and the medical group that are treating you. And they can look at the inside the device and they see, can see recordings. Now, not only can they see events that have been detected by the device and recorded by the device, but also the patients can have a remote control or a system where they can signify what event actually bothered them. And therefore you can not only see events have been tagged by the device's own inbuilt algorithms that you can control and adapt and program, but also by events that are bothering the patient. So it's quite common that people can 
standard healthy people can have slow rhythm, fast rhythms, all different rhythms. But and in one patient, they might have three or four different arrhythmia episodes. But we want to know what's the patient is symptomatic, what is actually bothering the patient. And therefore, we can maybe diagnose and see what the patient has in a general picture, but also what is causing a patient their problems. And these transmit daily um, to us across all the patients and some devices can actually choose when to transmit it to the hospital team. And they can have a look, the clinical team can have a look at the events and maybe come to a diagnosis for the patient and help treat the patient better. And there have been some great reports out there showing the efficiency and efficacy of it. Now I'm going to show you some reports on these cases and I would like you to have a look at them and see how we can use these devices, these implantable loop recorders that are in there for a year to three years and can actually easily be removed. They are all MRI approved nowadays and... Uh, Let's have a look. As I said, these devices don't treat. They just help us diagnose. They're a diagnosis device. So still, the patient, if they have whatever condition they have, they still have to receive a further treatment. So let's look at the first case. So just getting an example here. This is actually from the St. Jude uh, Reveal uh, sorry, not reveal, the St. Jude Confirm RX device. And we're seeing here that it's actually giving us an EKG signal. And I'm not sure how proficient uh, you guys, the listeners, are in EKGs. Comment in the space. I might be able to do a show for you or some courses for you on EKGs. That is definitely in our pipeline. But here we can see a single lead EKG coming up from the device that we've recorded. And let's see if I can get up a pen here. Okay, so we've got up a, let's get a laser pointer. So if we can look here on our slide, we have, um, you can see a very small P wave. So you can see the electrical signal over here of the atrium. And then just above over here, my laser mark, you can see a QRS and a nice uh, normal width of a QRS here on EKG paper. And then actually you can see the T wave. So you can actually get a good feeling of the EKG and the heart rhythm of this patient over here. Now, we can see that they had a brady episode, a slow heart rate bradycardic episode on the 13th of June 2018. Yes, quite recent, um, at 12.04 p.m. So it's 12.04 in the afternoon, that's midday time. So we can also have a look and see um, whether this event is happening in the middle of the night when they're sleeping and therefore they probably it's okay for them to have a slow heart rhythm because they're resting there in bed or if this is in the middle of the day. Now, this bradycardic event is the duration of eight seconds we can see. And we see that the heart rate went down to a minimum and an average rate of 49 beats a minute. So uh, when we decide that we're going to program our devices at below 50 beats a minute is bradycardic, well, we get to get a good picture and a graph to see, well, is that the same for this patient? And is this something that has to be treated or looked at? So we have here our EGM, which is like the EKG. And then below we have our marker where the machine detects and he, the machine can label what the signal is. So it says VS, which is ventricle sense. So it's a sensed event in the ventricle. And here we can see the markers, the difference in time. So we can see as 1074 milliseconds. So uh, in electrophysiology, we like to work in milliseconds as well as beats per minute. Uh, milliseconds can give us a better picture, a more detailed picture here. Um, and what we're really seeing is if we look at 1,000 milliseconds is the same as one second. So 1,000 milliseconds is like one beat a second. So if it's one beat a second, that's, uh, sorry, one 
beats a second, yes. That's 60 beats a minute. Now, when we look at 60 beats a minute, that means we're looking at a heart rate of 60. So, actually, between these two beats, it's approximately 60. But if you have a look over here, where it's 1,102 beats, it's actually slightly longer. It's around 1,100, which is more like 50 uh, beats a minute. Um, and that's where I, it's marking this episode as a bradycardia. So, when I ask this question over here, is this normal sinus rhythm or bradycardia? Well... We are seeing here that it is a normal sinus rhythm, but it is a bit slow. This particular patient has these events the whole time, and these events are non-symptomatic. So this is usually the patient's natural rhythm, and there's nothing we actually have to worry about. And maybe actually we should reconsider programming the device that it doesn't mark slow heart rate events, bradycardic events from 50 beats a minute and below, but maybe from 45. So it can be a more specialized detection criteria for the patient. But it's a good place to start with this recording from the St. Jude device. Okay, now we're going to move on to another case. And this was actually recorded from a Medtronic Reveal Link device. And here we can see that there same kind of idea, we have our recording here, we have our heart rhythm, we have our EKG, we have our marker channel at the bottom where it's labeling VS, V-sense, ventricle sense events, and we can see also the timings in between the individual two beats. But here we're seeing something very different. It's not necessarily a bradycardic event, a slow heart rate, and it's not necessarily a tachycardic event, a fast heart rate, and it's not actually necessarily a pause in the heart rate. But here the patient is marking, and we see the marked event actually here with a arrow, where the patient triggered an event that they said that they felt something different. So it remember the previous few minutes and the post uh, after the trigger few minutes, and they marked over here that there was an event. Now, what was going on over here? Well, we can see over here an event, and maybe if you have a look very carefully to the discerning eye, maybe there's a little P wave over here detecting the atrial contraction and the atrial conductivity, then a QRS, that seems to be nice and narrow, then a T wave. Now we go to the next beat, which seems to be, if you have a look, there's actually a first beat here, one, two, three, the third beat along. Now, yes, this is very dependent on the slide. So those that are listening to the podcast in audio only uh, form through Stitch or iTunes, um, I highly recommend you going to the website. It's in the link in the show notes and uh, looking at the blog page where I've actually got the pictures there. Or go to the YouTube channel or watch uh, the video version of this. This will be great. But if you have a look after the third regular, regularly spaced beat, of uh, 1,200 approximate uh, milliseconds between each beat. After the third beat, boom, well, there's an early beat. And we're looking here, and it looks quite wide. It looks wider here. So when we're looking at a wide, complex beat, and then, oh, there's a long pause. Maybe you might call that a compensatory pause, where the heart is compensating. So the next beat would really form four in its place because if we would accept that these beats will constantly run one after the other so we've got one here then we have one two three four five six squares another beat then more then another beat then we're expecting a beat to fall here this beat didn't fall here it came early it was wide but then the beat following that did come in its timing so we're having a compensatory pause and then another regular beat narrow beat then an early beat that's wide, and a regular beat, and an early beat, and a regular beat, and an early beat. So we've got some kind of what is called bigamania, 
happening here, where every second beat is actually being a premature beat. Now, these premature complex are actually wide. Um, if the regular beats are three smaller squares within the big squares, each big square that you can see here has about five uh, smaller squares. So it has three smaller squares. So that's about uh, a normal size. Whereas this big um, wide complex is taking up about five squares. It's taking out 200 milliseconds or maybe just under 200 milliseconds here. So it's a wide beat. Now what is causing the wide beat? What is causing the wide complex? So most likely what we're looking at here is a premature ventricular complex. So what does that mean? The heart is giving off a single premature beat that's coming from the ventricles. Every cell in the heart has ability to be the main pacemaker for the heart. So normally when we have a narrow complex, why is it narrow? Because activation of the heart muscle is coming through the regular conduction channels, the regular nerves, the regular conduction system, which is built in order to give a narrow complex, a nice narrow synchronous contraction of the heart. So all the heart is receiving the electricity at the same time in synchrony, both left and right sides of the ventricles, which is uh, depicting the QRS. But when it's not receiving it because there's a premature complex coming from one of the ventricles, there's a focus, a source in one of them that's giving off the beat and therefore the ventricles are conducting the electricity not synchronized, but individually, and it's not going through the native uh, conduction channels of the bundle branches and the Purkinje fibers. If you want more information, you can look on my website, epme.me, and read about the conduction system of the heart. Um, well, then it's giving off a wide complex. It's giving off this wide complex because it's taking time for the conduction to spread across the um, heart in a non-synchronous way. So we've got this Y complex, we've got these premature ventricular beats, and also we can appreciate here that each of the premature beats, so it's one normal, one premature, one normal, normal one premature, that the morphology, the shape, is different from the normal beat. Not only is it wide, it's different. It's more positive if you take um, the EKG, it's more positive in its shape, and each beat is comparable one to each other of being the same morphology, the same shape of wave. And that is showing us that it's probably coming all from the same source. So there's one focus, a single point in the heart, in the ventricles, that's giving off a repeated premature beat every second beat. And it's the same source. So we can probably pinpoint if we have it on a 12 lead EKG where we can see the electricity flowing through the heart from different angles and vectors. We could probably pinpoint this location if we would want to do an ablation and get rid of it. Um, this run of these premature beats actually after this set of beats, you see where after he marked them actually disappeared, um, which is quite interesting. It could be because his heart rate increased and therefore it suppressed these premature beats. It could be for many other reasons or it could have just stopped. It could just be runs of these premature beats. Um, I just do want to say a slight disclosure here that these premature beats are wide. Yes, they're most common to be coming from the ventricle. Ventricle premature beats or ventricle premature complexes. Some people call them VPCs instead of VPBs. But we actually... There's one other source that it could be coming from, and that's from the atrium. 
What do I mean by that it could be coming from the atrium when it's a Y complex? Well, it could be an atrial premature beat where it's a wide, uh, where it's a beat coming from a focus, a early focus that's coming off from the atrium, the upper parts and sections of the heart, and it actually is going down the regular conduction channels. However, it's causing an aberrancy. What is an aberrancy? It's an unusual change in the EKG that is happening where you're getting some kind of partial conduction disease coming up due to the earliness of the beat. So it could be that this early beat is going down aberrantly down one of the bundle branches into causing the activation of the left side or the right side of the heart to be happening earlier or later um, than the other side because there is some conduction disease. And why aren't you seeing this on the regular beat? Because on the regular beat, it's coming after a nice gap of interval where the heart has time to relax and the refractory uh, and finish being refractory. Whereas this premature beat could have one of the bundle branches actually still being refractory, still resting at the time when it comes, and therefore there's a delay in the conduction of the electric signal to the ventricles, and one side, either the left side or the right side, is receiving that conduction first, giving a wider complex that's not synchronized ventricular conduction because it's coming in a delay to one of the ventricles. Now, the reason I can't tell you which one is because here we only have one lead and we don't know exactly what this lead is. So we can't actually tell if it's a left bundle branch block or right bundle branch block or where the aberrancy is coming from. However, that is an option. Now, it's less likely, it's less common. However, why do I say it's an option? What could rule it out or uh, show it for us is if there's a P wave here. And I'm not sure if I can see a P wave, an, an atrial signal wave, before this Y complex or not, because we have the T wave and maybe it's going into the T wave or not. But no matter what, the patient is having premature beats, whether they're ventricular beats or atrial beats. And these are something that could be treated if they're symptomatic, which they are in this patient because he set it off as a trigger mode. And we can move on and uh, actually treat it through an ablation or through medication. I now want to give over uh, another case study of a patient that we actually had. Now, this patient has implanted the Medtronic Reveal um, uh, uh, device. And you can see here that uh, if we have a look, it already the device actually told us that this patient had a pause episode in the 3rd of August 2017 at 5 o'clock in the morning. So... Is this when the patient is being syncope? Is this when the patient is fainting or not with his unexplained fainting? Well, at five o'clock in the morning, he might be in bed. So I don't know if this is an actual event which caused his fainting, which is why he didn't mark it with a triggered episode. It was recorded. But if we have a look over here, we see a regular beat, a regular beat, a regular beat, slightly longer, and a, a total pause, absolute total pause of conduction in the heart and it shows, shows here that they even suspended the EKG recording to save battery power for 10 seconds a huge pause here and then suddenly boop, a wake up and then another pause and then go back to normal rhythm so this particular episode the patient didn't faint but this is a patient 
that certainly has extreme bradycardia, has a sick sinus syndrome, where they're having these pauses with no P waves throughout of them. So it's not that there's suddenly an AV block. And this is definitely a cause for fainting. And this patient does need a pacemaker. So, as I said, this wasn't a triggered episode because they actually fainted because it was five o'clock in the morning. But this patient did require a pacemaker and we called them in for the pacemaker. And very nice of the patient. They were actually waiting in the waiting room just as we were prepping the procedure room to implant the pacemaker. And he decided to also do another one of his pauses and actually faint pre-procedure. So we see here a regular rhythm, then all of a sudden a pause without any P waves, and all of a sudden, oh, wake up another beat, then a pause, and then another beats, another beats, another beats, then pauses, more pauses, and getting longer, longer, longer. And here, the patient paused and fainted, and they actually triggered the episode because they were in the hospital and they had the remote control with them. And you see that here they fainted, and then it wakes up again, then another big faint again because it, they passed out. And we had pre-pacemaker um, implantation, a real syncope event with this patient having this uh, episode. Um, now, this is a great recording of a pause episode of a syncope due to sick sinus uh, syndrome. And these patients need a pacemaker. And these are showing the real diagnostic qualities of the devices. Now, um, I just want to point out over here that other than these beats that are recorded with the marker, with the markers over here, we see there's a ventricle sense beat above here, which appears to be some noise. So you always have to look at the EKG as well as what the device is reading, because they might be sensing beats where there's actually noise due to over sensing of noise. And maybe we have to change the sensitivity levels in the device and maybe not. So we really have to look and make sure that what we're looking at is accurate and matches the uh, clinical side of things. Okay, let's look at a, another case. This is actually a, uh, a final case I would like to present to you today. And this is a case uh, of a male. He's 46 year old. He has repeated pre-syncope events and syncope events. So he feels that he's about to faint, dizziness, lightheadedness, and he faints. Now we did an echocardiogram, an ultrasound of the heart. We did normal EKG. We did a 24 hour halter, what we discussed at the beginning. And it was all normal. We even did for him an electrophysiological study where, because he was having so many syncope episodes, we decided let's stick catheters within the heart and measure the conduction through the heart with and without pacing. And it came out normal. So when we're having syncope and we really can't point it at a cardiologist, sometimes we'll point them to the neurologist. Maybe it's something to do with the brain. And they did a full examination and it came out normal. So this patient we decided to implant with an implantable loop recorder. Now, the first recording that I want to show you is actually what it can show us on events. This is also a Medtronic device uh, from the Medtronic Reveal device. They can also help us. They don't only give us um, the EKGs. They can give us graphs of the heart uh, rhythm. And in this uh, device, it gives a plot chart where you can see beat to beat individual points and you can see the rate of the heart rhythm. And what we're seeing here is that we have this whole cluster of an irregular heart rhythm. Some beats are as low as 60 beats a minute and some are as high as 150 beats a minute. And this is a total irregular heart rate. When you've got an irregular ventricle rate, it really points in one very clear direction. And this was actually an event which was recorded as a pause event of three seconds. And then after that pause event, all of a sudden, 
the heart comes back normal and regular. Now let me ask these questions here. Is, we're talking about here of the heart rate being irregular in the ventricle, okay? From the QRS signal. If it's an irregular ventricle rate, it's highly unlikely that it's VT. Ventricle tachycardia, which is very, very life-threatening and dangerous. And it could be VF, where it's under-sensing ventricle fibrillation, where it's a very fast heart rate, but some of the beats are go it's under-sensing because the electrical signal is weak in those locations, and therefore it's showing a, 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 a irregular rate. And then it, he comes out there naturally himself, which is very highly unlikely in VF, to regular sinus rhythm after pause. So let's look at the recording. So we see here a an irregular rhythm that's not Y-complex, so it's not VT or VF. It's totally irregular. We don't see any defined P waves at all, hmm, pointing us in the direction. And then whoop, a pause, and then a regular heart rhythm with P waves that you can see here, 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 here. So what is going on here? How do we treat this patient? So what this patient has here is actually atrial fibrillation. Okay, it's an irregular rhythm where the atrium aren't contracting and in a organized fashion. There's just electric signal running around the atriums as noise, not causing any uh, individual contraction. And that's irregularly conducting to the ventricles, giving this irregular ventricle conducted rhythm going on. Now then the patient comes out of this atrial fibrillation. However, there's a pause. It takes a while until the sinus nose node wakes up. So the atrial fibrillation, the noisy conduction in the atrium finishes. And until the sinus nose wakes up and says, hey, wait, I can take control of the atrium again. There's this is pause. And then he goes into regular um, uh, P wave and QRS signals of a regular normal sinus rhythm. So how would you treat this patient? Well, he had a pause. He was symptomatic. Maybe we should give him a pacemaker device. Hmm. Or maybe we should give him an atrial fibrillation ablation. If we ablate the atrial fibrillation, then he doesn't need a pacemaker device. Why should this relatively young patient of, uh, of 46 year old have a pacemaker device and go through device changes and maybe electro problems? when we could give him an atrial fibrillation ablation and at least cure him with, according to some of the best information, up to five years, maybe at least, or forever. Or maybe we should do both. We should do the ablation to stop him having the regular rhythm and a pacemaker device as a backup for if it continues, then we have the pacemaker device. Or maybe we should do nothing, treat it with medicine. Give him medicine, suppress the atrial fibrillation, and then he won't be having pauses, he won't be having atrial fibrillation, and he'll be feeling great. So what did we do? We decided, well, we could do the atrial fibrillation ablation. So we did the ablation of the atrial fibrillation. We said, he's got still the recording device in him, and it still has some good battery and lifetime left in it. So we'll see if he continues having the syncope episodes, the fainting episodes on the device and through how he's feeling, and see if he might need a uh, pacemaker implanted and this is what we did we did him uh, in uh, just uh, early march uh, 2017 the atrial fibrillation ablation now here we're seeing the atrial fibrillation how many hours every single day he was having so he was having up to 
um, about 12, 11, 12 hours of atrial fibrillation a day, sometimes shorter. This particular day, he had just over two hours of atrial fibrillation. Then after the ablation, nothing, no atrial fibrillation. So with this current patient, we're still following up on his implantable loop recorder. He doesn't have any syncope. He doesn't have any pre-syncope. He's not fainting. He feels great and he has no atrial fibrillation and he doesn't need any devices implanted in him. This is a great success from having over 3,443 episodes of atrial fibrillation. Being in atrial fibrillation nearly 27% of the time with 170 pauses greater than 3 seconds to 0 today. 0% without a pacemaker. So these devices are key and they're great tools in assisting in our diagnosis. I'm not saying they're there for everybody. You need to see a doctor or your clinician to really see if this is suitable for you if you're a patient. However, we have some great tools out there in the implanted loop recorders that can really help us diagnose, treat even through after post-diagnosis and help us plan future treatment based on what happens and monitoring the patient post-initial treatment. So I would really like to thank you very much for your time. This is the second episode. Um, I really hope you're enjoying this. If you are, please comment below. If you're not, also comment below. I want to know, I want to suit these podcasts of my educational platform suited to you. Coming up in our next episode, we're going to look um, at the defibrillator side of things and home monitoring with defibrillators, implanted defibrillators, to see if maybe we've got a way of diagnosing as well as treating with an implanted device for future diagnosis or future events. This is really exciting episode coming up next week, next Thursday. Um, you can read it on the blog on epme.me. You can listen to it in the audio podcast, but I highly recommend having the pictures in front of you from the blog or watch it on the video ones that are posted also. Um, that is coming up. Also, I would really like to draw your attention to sign up to our newsletter on epme.me where you can get up to dates about uh, updates about the epme.me show courses that we're going to be running webinars that we're going to be running and follow us on Instagram and all our um, information that we're posting you can read more about basic cardiology and electrophysiology on our website and those that sign up at the epme.me gets the ultimate ekg analysis cheat sheet it's a double-sided cheat sheet that you can print off in a4 or letter size and it really really helps you learn ekgs and helps you work through the form and diagnose on the on the EKGs that you're trying to analyze. This is really what I consider the Swiss army knife of EKG cheat sheets. I wish I had it when I was first learning. So please, please, please write comments below, like, share, sign up, and today you will get the EKG cheat sheet. Thank you for your ears. Thank you for your time. Let me know what you think. Have a great day and a great week ahead. This episode has come to a close. If you would like to get the ultimate ECG cheat sheet free and more valuable content, as well as notes from this and other episodes, please go to epme.me and subscribe. If you like this episode, please subscribe to this show on iTunes. Leave a rating and review. We'll really appreciate it. And if you're watching this on YouTube, leave us a comment below with your thoughts. And remember to hit the like and subscribe to our channel. 